So hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of our podcast, where we are joined by the incredible Syrian-Canadian author and LGBTQ2S plus refugee activist, Danny Ramadan. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm doing great, thank you. I am apparently incredible, like the incredible Spider-Man, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> of course, got to give you a proper introduction. I also have a secret identity, but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets. Oh, yeah, full of those. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it, folks. Of course. Now, cameras, if you had the chance to take a walk around Mirror Lake over the past two weeks, you would have seen Salma the Syrian Chef as our story walk book. Now, Danny Ramadan is the author of this amazing story, and we would love to ask you some questions if you don't mind. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's let's do it. Perfect. Georgia, would you like to start with the first question? Yeah, sure. So starting off with kind of the basic question authors usually get at the start of an interview, what inspired you to become an author? What inspired me to become an author? Uh, picture it, Damascus, 1984. Uh, I was born in Damascus and I grew up in a house of... Um, in a in a blue collar house, really. My my parents were not big readers. None none of the people around me were into books. But for some reason, I I got addicted to reading books since I was six or seven, and and then by the age of eight, I was writing plays. So me and my cousins would uh, would have this like adventures in the living room of my grandmother, um, and yeah, like I I. At the age of 12, I think, my father asked me, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be a writer. And my <laughs> father was, like, quite disappointed, to be honest. He was extremely disappointed. Um, and it's not the first thing that, uh, the last thing that I disappoint my father in. So, yay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I started writing short stories when I was 16 or 17. And back in the day, back in my age, uh, youngsters, we had something called forums online before the time of Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Um, and I used to post those short stories on forums. And then this publisher uh, in Egypt, which is quite far from Syria, um, was running a competition for short stories and uh, mine won. And he ended up publishing my first collection of short stories when I was 19. Wow. Fantastic backstory. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> like Spider-Man. <laughs> right? <laughs> Every superhero has a good backstory. <laughs> uh, maybe a supervillain too. <laughs> mm. And I guess following up on that, do you find your writing is a way for you to reconnect with your roots in Syria? Hmm. I I would say that my writing matured quite a lot. Uh, in the last um, seven, eight years since I became a refugee and I left Syria and I lived as a refugee for two years in Lebanon and then I came here to Canada, I think there was a lot of maturity that my writing has seen and that's because of the experiences of being a refugee and and crossing those borders and trying to reestablish myself here and, and build a sense of belonging here. And it's funny because I never thought of myself as Syrian um, with that nationalistic love that 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 you would have to your home country uh, until I came here to Canada. Um, 
and I, I guess because because everything around me was different than everything that I'm used to. So um, it created this nostalgia to something that I don't think I've ever thought about. Um, so I would say that my writing definitely benefited a lot by my lived experiences. And, and in turn, I became obsessed with the topic of Syria, with what it means to be Syrian, what it means to be a queer Syrian man, uh, what it means to to leave all of that behind and become a refugee, and and there is a lot of nuance in all of those experiences, don't you think? A lot of beautiful um, ins and outs and complexities that when you translate to the page, they just shine, they just jump at you. They're interesting and 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 full of juice, really. They're they're amazing. I love them. So. I am obsessed with writing about Syria because it brings me so much joy because it fills me with with that feeling of nostalgia that I told you about it 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 allows me to see the the intersectional identity that I carry with me being both Canadian and Syrian. So uh we tried making some flashami actually had a bit of an event <laughs> out of it had some community members come and pick up little kits and take them home to make the recipe themselves. Uh, wow. We were wondering if you could provide some insight into Fushami and why you chose to highlight it in Salma the Syrian Chef. Well, it's a funny story. So um, I was um, approached by a children's um, uh, publisher and they wanted me to write a children's book. And back in uh, the Middle East, I used to work, my side hustle was writing children's stories. So that that uh, fit into what I wanted to do. And uh, I signed a contract and I was like, yeah, I'll write you a children's story about Syria. Yeah, that would be fun. And then I sat down and I realized I actually have to write the book now. And <laughs> right. I had no idea what to write. So I spent three months agonizing over like what idea, like what story can I bring? Because I didn't want to bring uh, like, a, like a traumatizing, traumatizing story about um, refugees, and I didn't want tanks to be drawn in the backyard. I wanted something to be beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I woke up one day, and I was in the mood for having my friends over for uh, brunch. So that was before COVID-19, and I could have friends over for brunch. <laughs> uh, and I called my friends. I'm like, hey, can you come over? I'm going to make this Syrian dish. It's called full shami. Uh, do you, uh, how about you bring the, uh, the lemons and you bring the, uh, vava beans and I have olive oil and everybody came in and it took hours, of course, because like there are spices that we needed to, to find that are not like very common. And there are, uh, vava beans that you need to go to a very specific place and knock on doors and do stuff to get. So it was, it was a whole experience. And I sat down with my friends and many, like most of them are not Syrian. And I was talking to them about the full shami and telling them about how it is the meal that we have every Friday morning. It's the day of gathering for, for our families. It's, um, it's meaningful because it is a community meal. Everybody participates in making this meal. And then my friends left and I sat by my computer. And by the evening, I had the first draft of Salma Syrian Chef. Wow. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. And... Along the lines of that, um, one thing that we really appreciated that you highlighted within your writing in Salma the Syrian Chef is that whenever she was going through a problem such as, say, making full shami, she asked those around her for help. She reached out, she created those friendships and created that community. 
So we were wondering, were those strong friendships and that aspect of creating community using those around you, did that help you in your experience in integrating from Syria to Canada? Mm-hmm. So the thing that I missed the most about my first year here in Canada was my agency. I I felt as somebody who just arrived here, uh, I felt like I don't have any agency whatsoever. Everybody around me knows everything much better than me. Uh, everybody around me can tell that I'm not uh, that I'm a new arrival, that that I don't know the ways, the roads, the maps, um, how to get on a bus or open a bank account. And I I really miss that agency, being able to make my own decisions, being able to 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 navigate the world on my own, the way that I'm a very independent person, to be honest, and I like doing things my own way. So um, being thrown into a strange new world and as welcoming and wonderful as, as Canada could be, but still it's a strange new world that I've never experienced before. I felt like I lost touch with my agency. Um, but then I spent that year trying to reconnect with the community around me. When life throws you lemons, you make full chamois. Uh, so, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I started asking for help and I started seeking what I want. And, and choosing who I want to, to ask help of, uh, folks who would give me options rather than give me directions. And that's also what I wanted Salma to do. Uh, she never goes to a person being like, make me full shaman. She goes and she, um, she finds all the ingredients she needs. She finds the recipe by herself. She asks for, for help. Yes, that's for sure. But she is the one with the agency to do all of those things. And I think that's really, um, resonated with me as an author, but also resonated, I think, with a lot of children who read the book who are like, yeah, we want to have our own agency too. We want to feel like we can do those things. We can change um, the feelings, the bad feelings that my, um, our parents might have into positive feelings because of, um, because of our actions. So, so definitely, yeah. I know I love the parts about the newcomer center in Salma mm-hmm. the Syrian chef and just how it was a place for gathering and making new friends and community involvement. Um, mm-hmm. Were you a part of a newcomers group or a center when you arrived in Canada? So I was uh, sponsored through a program called uh, private sponsorship groups. So that means that I had seven people who came together and uh, through the work of an organization called Rainbow Refugee Society, um, applied for the Canadian government to sponsor me. And those folks were my quote unquote welcome center. Uh, there is an actual welcome center. You can actually see the drawing that you see in the book is based on the building of the welcome center here in Vancouver, uh, where, and that welcome center was built a couple of years after my arrival. And uh, all new arriving refugees um, who are sponsored by government or by private sponsors can end up in the Welcome Center uh, for um, for their first six weeks for services, for support. Uh, I am a big supporter of ISSOBC, who runs the Welcome Center. And I think that that's, that's a needed uh, service because when you arrive into a new world, as I just explained, when you arrive into a new world, you have a lot to catch up to and a lot to learn. So having that welcome center really truly helps. Um, my sister actually just got her um, uh, approval of her application. 
she is, uh, I'm sponsoring her to come here to Canada with her uh, little child and her husband. And she is arriving to the Welcome Center in the next six weeks. So, um, so of course, like I'm a big supporter because they also support me and my community all the time. Congratulations, first and foremost. That's incredible. I appreciate it. You already met her daughter because uh, when I was uh, when I was talking to the illustrator uh, about uh, Salma, she asked me for photos of little Syrian girls. So I sent her a photo of Tala, my my oh. niece. And Tala now is on the cover of <laughs> the perfect homage. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Wow. And then in that integration process, if you don't mind us asking, being openly queer, did that aspect of your identity complicate any part in this integration or this experience for you? It's funny because um, it didn't. It actually really helped. Uh, mainstream my application because I had an identity that a lot of folks around me can 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 relate to and can understand, which is my queerness. So uh, I landed in Vancouver, which is a very gay-friendly city. Uh, I live and still live in the um, in the uh, downtown area, very near to the gay village. So I feel like I'm around my community. Uh, to take this a bit deeper, I would say that. Um, I left homophobia behind in Syria, and I arrived here in, in, into a very uh, gay-friendly, queer-friendly uh, city. Um, I gained some other phobias. I gained uh, racism. Of course, I, I faced a lot of like I faced a lot of racism in, in my my years here, um, as well as some xenophobia, of course. But that's that's um, that's the card you're dealt, I guess. You have to. You have to do, at the end of the day, I do what I can to make sure that I am doing my best for myself, for my community, and paying back for Canada, paying it forward for other refugees, and you do your very best. So you've mentioned uh, the Rainbow Refugee Program and how that sort of helped with your arrival here to Canada. And we were super interested by the event you run, uh, an evening in Damascus. So... Mm -hmm. What inspired you to create an event like that? I was super lonely and kind of bored, and I decided to do it. Uh, <laughs> so a um, couple of months after my arrival, as I said, I was missing my community. I was feeling a bit lonely and that there's not a lot of people around me who are like me. So I decided that I want to sponsor um, a Syrian refugee to come here to Canada. And I asked a friend of mine if I can borrow their basement. They have a large basement. And uh, me and a couple of friends, we cooked Syrian food. Um, and then we invited everybody we know to come in for uh, an evening of Syrian food and play Syrian music and stuff like that. And then I got everybody drunk and I asked them for money. And they donated money for, um, for the arrival of this Syrian refugee. And it's kind of worked, so I kept doing it. <laughs> so um, now the evening in Damascus, um, this year it's it's seventh year. It's back in person this year. It's happening in October. Um, over the last six years, I raised over $200,000 for uh, Rainbow Refugee uh, and supported in the arrival of 18 different refugees to come to Canada since my arrival here to Canada. That's incredible. Wow. 
Absolutely incredible. And then to follow up on that question, how would others get involved either through volunteering for this event or within the movement itself? Sure. So we ask people to change the word all the time. and That feels a bit daunting. I, I don't think we can change homophobia in the Middle East overnight. We can't stop the civil war in Syria in a, in a heartbeat, but you can uh, definitely uh, come to the event, enjoy some Syrian food, Syrian music, learn about what it means to be Syrian outside of what the mainstream media is telling you about Syria and civil war and the terrorists and all of that. Um, come and see how I'm trying to connect uh, queerness and being Syrian uh, together by bringing drag queens and belly dancers and, and, and having storytellers and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun, honestly. It's, honestly, it's a lot of fun. So you can come to the evening in Damascus. You can donate directly to Rainbow Refugee Society. Um, do tell them that it is because of Daniel Ramadan. So I get I get the credit, but uh, but yes, please donate to Rainbow Refugee Society. Um, and also, you can just be welcoming to people. You can just like if you if your neighbor is Syrian, um, if your um, children's um, friends in school are Syrian, you can learn about Syrian culture, just Google it for a bit. You can learn how to make full shami. The, uh, the recipe is on my publisher's website. You can you can make it for your friends. You can make it for your children. You can even learn like a, a symbol of a word as hello in Arabic, in Syrian Arabic, which is marhaba. It is a very easy word, marhaba. Um, so just learn one word. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We can change the word overnight, but we can... We can do small things. And we will definitely be including a link uh, to Rainbow Refugee for donations underneath the podcast. On a bit of a lighter note, how have you been keeping yourself busy during the pandemic? Any shows or books you've been enjoying? <laughs> That's your idea of a lighter note? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, of course. I am a big Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe uh, guys, so I've been watching all of the movies. Uh, I'm a big gamer, so I got myself my PlayStation 5 and then have been playing video games all the freaking time. Uh, I'm one of those guys that like, I'm extroverted in podcasts and on stages, but then when I'm in my living room, I close the door and I play my video games for six hours straight and, and my husband knows not to bother me. So, um, so that, um, what else have I been doing? And I've been reading a lot of fantastic books. I can mention some. So you have Jillian Christmas um, poetry collection, The Gospel of Breaking. You have It has, It Was Never Going to Be Okay by Jay Simpson, um, which is another collection of uh, poetry. Uh, Burning Sugar by Cicely Bell Plain, um, also poetry. I read a lot of poetry. Um, what else have I been reading? I just finished a memoir called In the Dream House, but I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. I think it's Maria something, something. Uh, but it's it's a heavy, heavy, heavy memoir about a topic that is extremely heavy, which is um, uh, same-sex um, relationship violence, violence in same-sex relationships. But what a wonderfully beautiful book what like how can you write like this author wrote 
a topic that is extremely freaking difficult in such beautiful ways that is mm, heartbreaking. For anyone who is interested, the author is Carmen Maria Mikado. Yes, Carmen Maria Mikado. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's such a talent to be able to take those really, really difficult and nuanced topics and then explore them in a way that's not only palatable and understandable, but it really resonates with you afterwards. It's, it's quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. I completely agree, yes. Yeah. I and try then, to do that with my writing, but... Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> of course. Carmen Maria, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't try, you succeed. <laughs> <laughs> Second bad. Please stroke my ego. Please thank you. (laughs) And I guess following this, if there's one lesson that we can take, all readers can take from reading Salma the Syrian Chef, Mm -hmm. what would that lesson be in your eyes? Hmm. Um, I think the lesson is that we always look at the micro and we should look at the macro. We always look at the small details that are that were forced into like the civil war, like the tanks in the backyards. But we never look at how beautiful a culture can be when it's integrating into the Canadian society. I think we we can take a step back and have an eagle's eye view of um, of any any topic that we have, be it the refugees, be it uh, civil wars, be it anything, and try to see what is where's the resilience. Uh, stands whereas the beauty lives and I think that that's something that um, adults in Salma can can learn sorry adults can learn from Salma Uh, as for children I think the beauty of the book is that children will get to know a bit about their their friends at school Um, I'm pretty sure that every school if not every other school has a Syrian refugee in there and I think having that that identity presented in a positive light helps create friendships rather than uh, make the Syrian refugee into an exotic creature sitting in a corner. You talk a lot about uh, belonging in your works and also just in the podcast today. Mm -hmm. How do you try to inspire a sense of belonging, both in your writing and in your activism? Hmm. Inspire is a very big word, my friend. Inspire is a huge word. Um, I think, I think I'm authentic to my own experiences and being authentic to my own experiences and writing in that, in that voice, uh, bringing that vulnerable self into the page allows me to build that sense of belonging because I feel safe to share, uh, that work. And I think, I think when you are authentic in your art, your art will inspire. I don't go around writing books hoping to inspire anybody. I go around writing books as authentic and as vulnerable as I I can do safely in my office. And then I hope for the best when they go. And I think that that's, that's what that was inspires people. And that's why I get folks who have the refugee experience who come to me and be like i feel seen i feel like this has this is a similar experience to me and i'm like i i'm i'm thankful um it's this makes it sound like a byproduct it's not it's it's 
it is not intentional to inspire people, but it is intentional to be authentic about telling those lived experiences. And by that, you end up with with art that is echoing a lot of truth, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that authenticity for us, especially, it's been very inspiring. It inspired us to make full Shami first and foremost, and many others throughout the community. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tristan. (laughs) Georgia, do you have any more questions? I think I'm good. Danny, do you have anything you'd like to promote or talk about that we haven't covered? Oh, I'll tell you all about it. So my next novel uh, for adults is Foghorn Echoes, uh, which is coming out in uh, the spring of 20, maybe spring, summer 2022 from Penguin. So keep an eye on that. Uh, I have a memoir coming out in 2024 called Crooked Teeth. And uh, I'm hoping to finish the first draft anytime soon. My, my editor would kill me if he, he knows that I didn't finish my first draft yet. Um, and I have a series of books uh, starring Salma that are going to come out in the next two years. Uh, three books so far that I'm working on, first of which is called Salma Builds a Home. We can't wait to see those. Those will definitely be added to our collection. And I have a feeling they'll be taken out many times. Oh, wonderful. I'm looking forward to to finishing them. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine the process, how long it must be and tedious, but well worth it. Yeah, well, I have a little French bulldog puppy and he keeps me company and he snores all the time. So he ended up um, appearing in one of the drafts for one of the books though. <laughs> so that that really helps. That's perfect. But I think that concludes so long. Yeah, if you don't have any more questions, Georgia, I'm also all out. But Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, it, it was absolutely incredible. I know I personally learned a lot and a lot of different lessons that I'll definitely be taking with me for sure. Oh, thank you so much, Tristan and Georgia for hosting me today. That was a lot of fun. For us too. I'll go save lives now, a spider. <laughs> <laughs>